it might not be obvious. And that's why I, I think innovation and experimentation is really the key here. Bring people into the lab, let them bang on stuff and do things and see what you learn that wasn't the, the hypothesis maybe you were after. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello, I am James Robert Lay and welcome to the 172nd episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Doug Brown to the show. Doug is the president of digital banking at NCR Corporation and recently completed a study conducted with the Harris Poll that was framed around people's banking relationships and preferences. Welcome to the show, Doug. Thanks for having me, James. Before we get into this conversation and the research that, that, that y'all conducted, I always like to start off on a positive note. What's good for you personally, professionally? It's your pick to get started. Uh, hey, I'm just uh, really happy that I'm uh, in tune with this younger uh, Gen Z millennial mix that we're going to talk about today, having two daughters that represent that uh, age group. I think I understand some of it, some of which I don't. That's why we engage in research to unearth it. And let's share the findings today as you and I talk. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that, that y'all did do over at NCR. You conducted some some research with the Harris Poll framed around the relationship that people have with banking, their preferences. And I'm curious, what led to this study in the first place? Why focus on this? Why now? Why is this important? Uh, we really do it important because we want to know how people feel about their relationship with banks, credit unions, and then new alternatives. So not just what they're doing, what's their sentiment about it, where are the gaps. So I think there's an emotional connection as well as uh, physical happening. So we wanted the research to go deep and understand the motivations and incentives. I like I like what you're covering, this idea of feelings and emotions, because I think it's one in the financial services space that we don't think about enough. And and I understand why uh, bankers, financial brand leaders, credit union leaders, they're, all, they're typically very smart, left brain driven people. But when we're talking about the emotive, we're talking about the right side of the brain here. People buy and they make decisions with their heart and then they justify some of that with their mind. But a lot of feelings and emotions goes into this. One of the things that you found in the study, 64% of millennial banking customers consider leaving their FI over the past year. Why is that? Uh, the primary culprit is they find some alternative they think is better. So they're drifted away because something looks more intriguing and interesting. So they have a propensity to go look at other things. But when you get deeper into their sentiments and emotion, they would prefer to stay mm. in the relationship that they know and trust, like a bank and a credit union, but they will be tempted. So that's where the challenge lies. Yeah. And, and when you look at this idea of temptation, what is tempt, tempting them away to stray uh, to, to, to maybe look at all other alternatives? What's piquing their interest here? Uh, well, sometimes they can do something cooler or new. So they're interested in trying that and experimenting. So I know some millennials like to go for some of the new products that are like a disposable debit card model and they can control how much they spend. So it's a forced budgeting paradigm to them. They like that. So they think that's cool and different. 
uh, as one example. Some people think I need to move money differently, so they'll try some apps that have that. Some might like to invest in crypto. So there's a, a multiple things that are distracting and tempting, uh, but then once they get into it, they find that it's not as easy to use, not all it was cracked up to be, or worse, they were influenced by maybe uh, someone who's not that uh, deeply advised on it, like their friends, and yes. find out that wasn't the best path to take. The grass is not always greener on the other side, and sometimes we have to learn through the school of hard knocks. And and I'm, I'm curious, so you know, if, if 64% of millennial banking customers are considering leaving over the past year, you know, shiny object syndrome, we'll call it, what's the opportunity here? What's the opportunity for financial brands to optimize and, and maybe even transform Form operating models, business strategies to better serve younger generations of, of, of how they prefer to bank? Yeah, I think it's about like they need to unearth what is the intrigue point? What's uh, you know, the attraction phenomenon? What is it? And then what can they do about to address it? So a good example I'll bring to you is that uh, one of our uh, bank customers, they found that people really interested in refinancing their, their, current, their current cars, like a used, used car auto loan. And at one level, you can say, okay, I understand that there's some going on here. But what they found was people really doing that because they wanted to build their credit score mm. by having a installment loan model. And they, you know, better than most other alternatives. So when you find out what's the motivation behind it, it wasn't just simply some cash out on it. It was, I really want to build that credit score. So when you understand the wellness aspect of what they're looking for, you're going to hit it head on better than any fintech or an alternative uh model as an option. So it's almost like identifying the problem behind the problem or the question behind the question. What's the deeper motivation in banking on digital growth? I wrote, you know, people wake up and they don't say I need an auto loan. No, they say they wake up and say, I need a car. And in this particular case, it wasn't even about the refi. It was about building the credit score. And, And how can we flip that thinking within a financial brand because I think it comes down to to human centered growth. Because we we get so enamored with our our products, but it's like oh. if if we can put the focus on the people and serve their needs, that's where the, the massive growth opportunity is, right? It is. We have to challenge ourselves. You said it on the front end of this. Unwire our left brain and get to the right brain, the sentiment side of it, and learn to ask like, what are they really after? Don't lead with, oh yeah, I got a rate on a loan for you. Like, what are you trying to accomplish? And once you understand that, right, and they'll tell you, that's the amazing thing about this generation that we found in the research too, they're willing to offer you coaching and guidance on how to approach them. So we need to be open ears, open eyes, open heart, listen and act. I think, and you cued on this too in your opening remarks, like, you know, we don't know what we don't know. Don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to have these conversations because I think with this specific generation, millennials and maybe even more so Gen Z, you know, they have grown up in a digital world. They are sharing literally everything with the world, their thoughts, their feelings, their emotions. I'm curious, what, what might be a big misunderstanding that financial brands have about millennials? they maybe have about Gen Z because they're they're, even millennial and Gen Z. I think we use them in the same sentence a lot, but they're very different in their own thinking. Am I right? They are because they have different uh, milestone life events going on where they're at when it comes to home ownership and, and family and the, and the like. So you're exactly right. There's a big difference in there. So I think it comes down to like sniff that out, understand it. And it might not be obvious. And that's why I, I think innovation and experimentation is really the key here. Bring people into the lab, let them bang on stuff and do things and see what you learn that wasn't the 
the hypothesis maybe you're after. I like that. Bring people into the lab to collaborate together. Cause I think innovation done in a bubble, it, 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 it doesn't serve oh, the greater good. Now we can co-create, we can collaborate. I'm curious, you know, one of the things you note is this idea of a digital first mindset. What is a digital first mindset? What does that actually mean? Yeah. Uh, Literally, it means not digital only. It means digital everywhere. So for a bank and credit union model, whenever I'm servicing you, James, I want you to feel like it's a digital cool experience, whether you're coming into the branch or you're calling the call center or you're working on the app on the phone. In every one of those channel instances, we want it to be digitalized and cool. And so we call that digital first for simplicity's sake. What does that mean? That means I have a lot of data to help bring to you what's relevant. I know you. I personalize it. And you just feel like you feel a connection is what it's about. So having that connection everywhere you you interact with the bank or the credit union, that's digital first. And 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 I want to come back to a point you made previous too, because you mentioned that you know people are are looking, they're flirting outside of their current relationship. More than half of banking customers, 59%, according to the research that y'all did, said that uh, people have relationships with more than one financial institution outside of their their PFI, outside of their primary financial institution. What's the threat here and what should financial brands be thinking about when it comes to not just acquiring, because I think that's only one half of the equation, but more so retaining those relationships over time using data? Yeah, so the, you know, the danger, of course, is that first part is they're sampling something else. They're more vulnerable to distraction, uh, something, something positive or negative is going to intrigue them. So that's not good, I would say. You got to raise the bar on what you're doing. So don't give them a justification or a reason, right, to jump over there. And then what they're doing is like, what are they doing? And why are they doing it? What do they see over there they're not seeing in you? And also in our research, you'll find, James, is that a number of times the banks and credit unions actually had the thing they went looking for. They just didn't, they didn't know, know the it. banks and credit unions had it. That's right. Yeah. So that's the paradox of like, they don't think to ask you, they don't discover it. So now it's incumbent on you to make them aware, lead them to it. And when you do, I think you minimize that risk of they're going to be tempted away. Digital growth is a journey from good to great. But sometimes this journey can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. The good news is you don't have to take this journey alone. Because now you can join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs who are all learning, collaborating, and growing together. Visit digitalgrowth.com slash insider to learn more about how you can join the Digital Growth Insider community to maximize your future digital growth potential. Now, back to the show. Well, I think one of those areas that you covered in the research, you said 78% of Americans would rather use an FI than a tech company for PFM, for personal financial management capability. But if people don't know that exists, then they're going to go out looking elsewhere. And then you also mentioned that 73% of Americans would rather use an FI than a tech company for buy now, pay later services. What's the opportunity here? Back to your point of we need to create some awareness around this, maybe bring some new capabilities. But when thinking about, you know, elements like PFM, like buy now, pay later, what's the opportunity for financial brands to be thinking about? Well, I think they're in the best position to know a lot about these customers to bring it forward to them. So recommending and proposing a buy now, pay later when it makes sense. It doesn't always make sense. 
So I think the banks and credit unions have a unique option of knowing more about you, a more holistic relationship that they can propose it at the right time. And then they can also explain, by the way, that will help you with going back to the credit score building example, wellness, cash flow management, the needs that they have. Again, because they have a, a longitudinal relationship over time. Therefore, they're going to be better positioned to give you better things. So I think the onus is on the industry to come forward, recommend, and propose at the right time, whether that's buy now, pay later, or these other examples I'm sure we'll talk about as we're going today. I think I think you talk about buy now, pay later, and PFM making recommendations. It's a proactive stance in the relationship, not being so reactive. And that's where even utilizing some data, we can make recommendations down to a person's financial journey that they're taking at an individual level. Other opportunities that I think, you know, re- when reading through the research here that I saw was, uh, and I found it interesting, three in five Americans or 66, 62% would rather use an FI over a tech company for crypto capabilities. Why, why do you think that is? Well, I think uh, because crypto is so new, it's kind of scary in a lot of ways. We hear about it from our taxi drivers and our barbers are walking around, but you don't really know what <laughs> it's about. So you want to go to someone in the know. Uh, banks, credit unions fit that, that marker. So I think that's one reason. Secondly, as crypto, you know, you're opening yourself up to uh, a lot of data has to be provided. And who do you trust? You usually trust your bank and when it comes to financial data, you trust your doctor with your medical data. You're not so keen to drop that stuff on the you know, random third-party things on the web and on apps. So that's a big driver of it. And interesting enough, too, further in that study is that millennials and Gen Z scored even higher than the average. They said, I trust the bank and credit union at 66 versus the 62 on average. So the ones who are always skittish and skeptical, right, That like my daughters, they are the ones who actually were saying, you know what? I want it from the name and brand I trust. Right. Because they, they, it is because they already have that established relationship. And you see a lot of like a Coinbase, for example, coming to market. And then mm-hmm. there's the whole point of aggregation there. But then there's also the 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 threat of the relationship but then there's the trust aspect and element that you know what i've had this relationship with my financial brand since i was you know five six seven eight years old uh now i don't know i'm not feeling so confident going out to one of these other players it's interesting the psychology that that's that's coming into some of this what what else surprised you when going through the data and what was shared from more of a of a feelings and emotion side of things so, uh, you know, we, uh, we were talking earlier as we started the conversation, like classics and the classic paradigm still matters, I'll say. Yes. And one example is they initially, you know, the, the, the um, Gen Z millennials were really driven toward Venmo for money movement. Like, mm. this is cool. We all Venmo. Venmo's a bank, right? Like, well, no, not really. And they didn't discover that until they graduated from college. They get off campus and realize I have to send money to people other than on the campus. And it's like, right. oh, guess what? The rest of the world and a lot of businesses is not on Venmo. So what is Zelle is, though, however. And so once they start using it, they're realizing it's like, well, that's cool. And it does it the same way. And it's even less hassle for me and more reliable. Right. And so that's where an example of like they still they begin to appreciate reliability, consistency. And those things are really valuable. And there's a little bit of you know awakening awareness that has to go on with them. So I think uh, when you look at the that that age demographic and i think it's reflective of all age demographics when you go up the curve right further it's gen x like myself or boomers it's like hey we actually all have similar needs and that's what draws us in so 
again, say, how do we bring it forward, make you aware of it, easy to use, no friction, no hassle. At the end of the day, we all love no hassle, I think, no matter what age demo you are. So yes. let's tap into that hierarchy need there. It is. It is the pattern matching. It's the pattern matching that comes back to basic human psychology. We all have questions and concerns on one side. We all have hopes and dreams on the other. As financial brands, the opportunity is to use technology to, to, to provide prescriptions, cure solutions to people's biggest pain points to help them move beyond the present moment to get to a bigger, better, brighter future on the other side. Speaking about a bigger, better, brighter future, what, what do you see coming out of this research as some of the biggest opportunities that are available for creation, some to create something new or to capitalize on something that we already have available at a financial brand? Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, availability for just payments, money movement concepts. We were teasing out some of them minutes ago, but people want this just, I want a simple way of when I have to pay somebody, I don't need to understand bank terms. Again, let's unwire ourselves from, this language of banks. The, I call ACH. I call it, yeah, ACH banker knees, right? Like, <laughs> yes, like right. what does that, what does that even mean? ACH. So continue. Yeah. So I think it's like, let's, let's get out of that nomenclature. What does it you want to do? I want to send some money to somebody It needs to get there this quickly. I might be willing to pay for it. I want it free, you know, just like simplifying the whole paradigm fundamentally. That's what is boiling through here. especially when that finding about, they were going somewhere else to go use something that already existed. Yes. And they either thought a major big bank had it, you know, or it was an, a fintech. So I think there's a lot here. It just gets back to how do we break through the noise, get them to see it, and make sure that the value proposition lines up to their their needs hierarchy. You're talking about psychology here, that it's uh, it's hitting the mark of what they're where they're wanting to be met. Absolutely. And, and I think that idea of breaking through the noise, one of the best ways I, that, that I see to break through the noise, particularly internally, because I feel like as financial brands, we probably make things more complex than what they need to be. And, and that's, that's the neat thing with, with digital. Digital is a multiplier. It will multiply simplicity, but it will also multiply complexity on the other end of the spectrum. Thinking about the research, the findings, the opportunities, you know, back to your point on like money movement uh, payments, what might be some roadblocks that we can be aware of that could prevent us from maximizing some of these findings, these learnings from the research here? Yeah, you know, one example might be that we need to just get away from the conventional patterns. Like people have always done it this way, therefore they're gonna know to do it. Like for example, we know what bill pay is. Like, you know what? Millennial and Gen Z don't really understand bill pay. Like, what is that? I don't even look at bills. And so why do we keep forcing a paradigm that's outdated itself, right? So in many ways, a dinosaur. I need to send money to somebody because I owe them. That's it's money movement. Yep. Yeah, money. Exactly. So not bill pay. So what does that mean? That means we need to unwire the experience and not say, are you interested in bill pay today or a bank to bank transfer? Like, again, we're speaking a language that's a, a dead language in many ways. Right. So the, the wake up call to us is like break through that, approach them for what it is on their terms. They get it. And when you do that, they're wanting to come to the banks and the credit unions. That's what the research validates right two-thirds plus in every one of the instances we're talking about today saying that's where i want to go because i know it's going to be important it gets done and gets done right so the roadblock is 
being aware of how we're thinking, being aware of how we're communicating, and does that truly resonate to the other side of the equation? And I think, you know, even when I wrote Banking on Digital Growth, I was like, this is a book about communication. This is a book about conversations, just how we communicate, how we have conversations. That's transformed over the years. Doug, this has been a great conversation. I'm curious, let's get real practical here as we begin to wrap up. Um, I always like to send the dear listener off with a very practical, uh, an action item, something that they can apply going forward on their own journeys of growth. And thinking about the research that you've conducted and some of the opportunities here, what would be a very small, simple next best step that they can take? Because all transformation that leads to future growth begins with something very small, very simple. What can they do next? Uh, James, I would suggest listen to the signal coming from the target audience that you're after. They're saying it loud and clear to us that we have the capacity to hear it and turn it around. Experimentation is a good thing. Innovation is about not just what you do, how you do it. So start small. Bring a few in and see what you can learn from it and then act on it. Don't just make it a science experiment. Stop there. What are you going to do in the follow-up phase and the like? So it's a discipline. you got to keep exercising. That's my guidance. Question for you on this because this has come up in a couple of other recent conversations that I'm I'm hearing some patterns here around innovation, for example. And I think mm-hmm. I think you maybe expand upon this. Um, and we touched on it before about bringing people into the lab. Uh, we'll call them client or customer or member advisory boards that bring people in to have the and really facilitate these conversations maybe on a quarterly basis or biannual basis, at least just on a minimum, just an annual basis. What's your take on that? Because there's no better way to get close to someone than to have dialogue and discussion and discourse. Yeah, um, I think some people exercise that, but again, they're too limiting in the selection bias that goes on. They go get their customers and just ask the current customers like, okay, that's a portion of it, but let's go grab some random college students put them in a room and talk about these topics and see what they say and offer us. So I think there's a, again, where we're biased culturally, legacy thinking, break out of that, make it half and half. And what you begin to see too, is that the current customers also really have a low awareness of net new things of what else they could want. So they're usually the worst ones to ask. That's <laughs> At the same time. That's a, yeah, the, that's a great point because it's like people don't know what they want if they haven't seen something else outside of that that horizon. I like that perspective. So go and maybe maybe draw from a larger pool of people. Is that what I'm hearing from you? Yeah, precisely. And one of the things we like to do, for example, is, hey, um, let's not talk about banking, but if banking could be like Chick-fil-A or another vertical that we serve at NCR, and what you find is there's so much similarity in the needs hierarchy, the articulation and what they're asking for. And again, it's like not in the traditional wheelhouse. It's looked to other industries of what's happening and influencing this behavior. And that's what digital is about. Digital is our pervasive lifestyle for you and me and everyone listening today. Looking outside to grow inside, inside finding ideas and inspiration, even, even from other verticals that we could bring in to optimize and level up our own experiences. Doug, this has been a great conversation. If someone wants to continue the dialogue, the discussion, even get the research, because I think that this is, it's important research here. What's the best way from the, to, to A, reach out and say hello to you, B, get the research? Yeah, find us uh, at www.ncr.com, digital banking, and look for me on LinkedIn, Douglas Brown. 
connect with Doug, learn from Doug, get the research for sure, empower, elevate your own financial brand. Doug, thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. This has been a lot of fun today. Thanks, James. Appreciate it. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com slash insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.